Hey Theologues, welcome back. Welcome to Season 2 of Theologcast. Things have gotten a lot more regenty around here. My first guest is uh, for Season 2 is Michael Yang. He's my tutorial TA. He's a fellow student here at Regent. He loves life. And we had a really fun and electric conversation about his story, about suffering and death and what resurrection means for all of that. And I had a really good time. And so I hope you guys have as much fun listening to it as we did recording it. Yeah, so I'm here with Michael Yang. Yang, yeah, Yang and Delang. It's Yang and Delang. We started a new little series. That's right. So welcome to season two. <laughs> yeah. Of the of the podcast, we're 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 sitting in uh, Regents uh, Library, study room three, yeah. I believe. Yeah. 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 So we got a nice whiteboard and it's nice nice space. Um, and yeah, so Michael and I were chatting. And we talked about a number of different things. We're both in Christian imagination. Mm. Michael's my tutorial, uh, what do you call it, TA, TA for yeah. my class. So he teaches me things. So that's nice. <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he's been a really, he's become a really good friend. So it's been, I look forward to chatting more and yeah. uh, hearing more of what you, we have to say. So the way the podcast works, I think I told you this already. We always start with the three simple questions. Who yes. are you? Why are you here? And where are you going? Mm. These are the classic philosophical <laughs> questions of the last, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of the last um, 2,000 plus years. Yeah. And uh, we call them the simple questions. So you just answer okay. and get them out of the way so we can get to the good stuff. It sounds good. But, but there's, an, there's an addition now that I'm a Regent student. Oh, okay. I've learned. I've, what, what I've noticed looking back on my other episodes yeah. is that... The who are you, why are you here, where are you, where are you going question is very much like asking you what your story is, right? Yes. And I've noticed that all of my great theological conversations have arisen out of this who are you, why are you here, where are you going? And what I'm, what I'm learning is what N.T. Wright is teaching me and what Regent is teaching me is the importance of story in right. knowing anything in theology. So, yeah. so I'm asking you those, those three simple questions as a way of getting to know you. Who are yeah. you, where are you from, and where are you going? And I always ask, I always say, you can, um, you can answer them as, as, as wish, literally yeah. Yeah. or as cosmically as you like. As cosmically. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, 13.5 <laughs> billion, no. Um, well, I was, I was born in Los Angeles, but I've never lived in Los Angeles, <laughs> is what I tell people. Yeah. So, like, my parents are Taiwanese, and um, they, were, they wanted to go to Disneyland. My mom was pregnant at the time. And they're like, let's go to Disneyland. Oh, let's have our child here. So I have this weird relationship with the United States of America in the sense that I am a citizen of the United States of America, but I have no real allegiance to them. So I find, yeah, this weird, tenuous thing with this global military, political superpower. <laughs> so that's how my life began. I was just like, oh, I didn't choose. No relationship other than they're the only country in the world that if you're a citizen, they require you to pay taxes to them, even if yeah, you don't. Yeah, so I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, me too. But yeah. Uh, and then the rest of my life, I spent most of it in like bouncing back between Vancouver, here in Canada, and Taiwan, where my parents are still there today. 
and my older brother as well. Uh, I always tell my story nowadays framed around God because for me, like God was sort of the thing, the person, the relationship that unlocked the rest of my life. But like, I didn't grow up in a religious home. So this whole conversation around faith and spirituality was like, I, I don't know. So up until I was 12, if you asked me what my worldview was, I would honestly have to tell you like, it's a weird blend of like Star Wars because I was very big in my life. So I believe there's like a light side and a dark side, right? Mm. And you could be corrupted by the dark side and all this. It sounds ridiculous, but my 12 yes. year old brain, it made sense. It's great. Yeah. Those are great movies. They are great movies. And philosophically quite uh, perceptive. Yeah. As I got older, I was like, oh, there's more there going on. Right. Um, but then due to some crazy circumstances, I ended up going to Taiwan for uh, my high school years. And I attended this small international school. Now, before that, I had been going to like a public school here in Vancouver. So when I transitioned to this small international school, what my parents did not tell me was that it was a Christian school. Mm. And not only did they not tell me that, I had to find out on the first day of class in a Bible class when they handed me, because I was a new kid, they're like, Michael, we have a gift for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, a gift. And it was like this student NIV with like blue little like blurbs by Philip Yancey and all these. And they just handed this to me. It's like, oh, this is a gift for you. And I was like, why am I? It's like, oh, we're doing Bible class right now. And like we turned to the gospel of Matthew and I didn't know what a gospel was or who this Matthew guy was. And so that was like my first real bump against Christianity. It was just this strange, funky thing. And it got weirder. Cause like we had a chapel every week and the first time we had chapel we went into like this common room and they had like the music going and then we all started singing a song to someone who wasn't in the room and we're all facing forward and i was just very confused mm -hmm. uh, but i feel like god just has that sense of humor because the next couple of years he changed my life um, god changed my life in various ways and, and yeah, I felt like that was sort of opened my world. Jesus became like the yes I was always looking for, mm. you know, but I didn't even know what the question was. <laughs> like I had uh, to figure out what the questions were much later. Yeah. But I just knew like there's something about this Jesus that was compelling. Um, and the strange thing is as, I, as I've grown older as a person and in my faith and my life, um, I realized like all these ideas about like denominations and churches wasn't even my first experience. The first thing when I encountered Christ was just Christ himself in a way. Because I got, you know, I met him at a school in the middle of Taiwan. Um, it wasn't much till much later that I realized, oh, there's all these denominations and such a wide stream we're swimming in. So that was sort of like all these different initiations and steps as I got deeper and deeper into who this Christ was, into the mystery as mm. I came to call Christ. So wow. that's a funky thing. Okay, that's that's great, man. So that's that's a lot to do with, with why you're here, where, where are you going? And I guess so then I would ask, who are you in light of this, this story? You know? Yeah. Well, I think the best way for me to understand it and to sound a little egotistical is like to use my name Michael as an example. Mm. So 
Um, my parents picked my name, my brother, older brother picked my name, Michael, because he, Michael Jordan was like just killing it at the time. So okay. he was like, let's just name this, name our son Michael. And your so, brother picked it. Yeah, because he was like awesome. into basketball. I know, so I owe him a lot in that <laughs> sense. But when I became a Christian, like, I started to realize, oh, oh, my name shows up in the Bible, right? And like, I did some research, it's like, what does Michael mean? And it's a Jewish name, and it means who is like God, right? So I was like, okay, I know who I'm going to be and who I'm going to be about. I'm going to be the person who's like God, the most God-like, Christ-like person I could be, you know. And I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to be about. So I read the Bible, prayed, did all the standard classic evangelical, had my prayer devotional times, mm. you know, as much as like my high school brain could handle. Mm. But then a couple of years after that, I realized actually that's not what Michael means. Michael means who is like God. It's a rhetorical question. Wow. So there's this question mark in the name itself. Who is like God? So then my identity changed too. When I, um, when I started to unpack that, I was like, oh, my life isn't about trying to be as God-like or godly or Christ-like. It's about raising this question, living my life in a way that raises this question to all those who I bump up against. Who is like this God? Who is that divine, that mystery? Who? What's that thing that Michael seems to be pointing at or like himself is caught up in? Yeah. So that's who I am nowadays. If I, if you ask me on that level, I'd yeah. be like, well, I'm just a person who's trying to re tell stories about this, this God that's like nothing or no one else. That's great. You know? And so that shapes the way um, I spend my time and my energies and what I'm doing and learning and um, the work I do, so. Wow, man, that's like, that's almost an episode right there. I just am <laughs> so inspired, but we can spend the rest of the time just unpacking that because, wow, it's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. And while you were speaking, I was like, man, I want to hear more of the, about this guy, or more of this guy, just what you were talking about, this like beautiful poetic way of speaking that's so like infused with life. And, um, and so, I feel like this is a good opportunity to give a plug because, <laughs> sure. because you have a podcast as well. Yeah. So let's let our listeners know about that. Yeah. So the podcast is called Poetic Spirituality um, and it's about eight, nine months old. I started it last year because I was just curious mm -hmm. about what, you know, I was getting into podcasts and just wanted to be able to share things and talk to people and just make stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and for me, like the, cause every podcast needs some sort of tagline. So this is sort of the tagline we're working with. It's like spirituality for me is the never ending conversation about what it means to be human. Cause there's this rich diversity of what it means to be human and, and poetic spirituality is just adding some rhythm and some rhyme mm. to that conversation. Fantastic. What's the website we can... Yeah, just PoeticSpirituality.com. Okay, you probably said that already. I missed that. No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you did Just something okay. like that, yeah. Just Google that, whatever. Go yeah, PoeticSpirituality.com. Fantastic. You bought a domain. I did buy out. a domain. Well that's done. Like, yeah. I think we're still theologcast.wordpress.com. So. That's, that's where we all started. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Okay, so I, I... Oh, man. I have a lot of questions. Did you... Did you... I like... I'm interested in Buddhism. Are you interested in Buddhism? More and more so, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, and so this this idea of like the force, you know, mm. the force that that George Lucas is interested in is 
in my limited understanding, similar to, to, to a sort of a Buddhist, you know, conception of, of God. It's some sort of force, energy that yeah. you connect to. Yeah. When, you, when you were in your Pentecostal uh, church yeah. and you were all facing the front singing to something that wasn't even there or someone, yeah. you know, it was only yeah. something or someone now yeah. who wasn't even there. Uh, was there any connection between the Star Wars universe and this new being? I don't know if you've thought about that before, but because uh, you because you, you come with your yeah. symbolic universe, right? Yes, yes. Star Wars. Yeah. This is my symbolic universe. This is my understanding of the spiritual world. Yeah. There's good. There's bad. What with this the, when you had your hands in the air, you're kind of evangelical. <laughs> I don't right. know if you guys raised your hands, we but raised our hands, you did. Yeah. So there was hands raised. Some people maybe were crying. Were yes. were they singing to to um, to someone that was? that belonged to your symbolic universe or mm. it wasn't explained yet or was it totally other to what you had experienced? Huh. So, it was, this is a really tough question on one level because as I look back now, I'm so clouded by what I've been learning in the last couple years. Right. So, I, I, I feel like I didn't have a good sense or understanding of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit when I was younger. Yeah. That's only in the last three, four years that I've come to understand more about who the spirit is and so this idea of a force it, it never clicked quite exactly the same and i was also it threw uh, jesus just threw me off on one level mm. like i understood like this is there's someone something about this person i can resonate with but how does jesus connect with god like that link right like i always had that image of god as the force as right. this powerful transcendent thing but Jesus would, you know, walk on the earth and eat and slept and farted. And, and the water. Like, <laughs> yeah, that him showing off. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. Looking back, it it was, it's tough to say. It's tough to say. And the tough thing too is like I was a teenager, so I interpreted the world a certain way and like approached the world a certain way too. Some of it might have been peer pressure. Um, but it doesn't discount the power and reality of mm. those experiences. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I always thought I, I think I've had many conversion experiences. The most, most like Pentecostal experience I've ever had yeah. with the spirit or the force yeah. was when I was like fifteen, and my school had these what we called spiritual life weeks, where they had a speaker come in. For a whole week, every day, we would have chapel. And we would have small groups. Yeah. 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 So some people hated it. Yeah. They were like, oh, God. Some people were like, yes. Some I was the kid. I was like, like yes. Some people were like, oh, my God. Other people were like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so this one speaker came in. And Thursday nights, the last night before the last day, we would have this big worship night. Like 6 to 12 at night it could go that long and I still remember my first experience or a big experience was like we're doing worship night um, the speaker was very charismatic and he's like okay everyone come come to the front right and it's so crowded so I was off on the side and he's like okay right now I want you to picture in your heart like someone that doesn't know Jesus and I want you to pray for them right and we're gonna pray for the spirit to fall on you and on them and and I was like, you know, whatever. I was just really caught up in the moment. But it was ridiculous because in the next, like, 10 seconds, I found myself on my knees, on the ground. I felt like something warm hit the back of my neck. 
and spread out down through my shoulders and my arms down to my fingertips and then like i started to just bawl and cry and mucus was everywhere and like i had a specific friend i was praying for so i just kept repeating like the person's name again and again but I was on the ground and like it was so mucusy. Like I was like, I can't focus. So I actually like remember this so distinctly. I had like a receipt in my pocket, so I took it out and just blew my nose. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But then you know so, it's the Holy Spirit when the mucus glands. Yeah, are down, right. Just, like yeah, you can no cry control. when you're emotional, but the mucus stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just that's something totally otherworldly. Yeah, seriously, freedom in the spirit, right? Where the spirit oh, yeah. of the Lord is, there's freedom. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, so that was a unique moment because. Looking back, I was like, that might have been it when I felt, you know, the holy fire fall on me. Mm. But apart from that, yeah, it took me a long time to have a relationship with the spirit. Yeah. Um, or the, uh, the almost divine force field, as Richard Rohr calls the spirit sometimes. So, yeah, that's it. That's great. Okay, so there's a, there's a theological moment here where we can talk about the doctrine of the Logos you know, yeah. I'm interested in this, um, but but the the Platonists had this idea of you know the logos, the sort of reason or order that that undergirds the world, and that's what John calls the Word, and the Word mm. became flesh. Yeah. You know, your story is neat because it because it it talks about that idea of the logos becoming flesh. You know, like um, so that I don't know. That's that's maybe one way of framing this story. You know, because that's yeah. been my my experience yeah. has been definitely encountering this mystery this 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 je ne sais quoi of the of the universe right <clears throat> but not having a relationship with it so tell, tell me about the, the the moment when it became a person when it became flesh yeah. to you uh, um it took it, it took stages i think like i you know like a good evangelical school they handed me the bible really early mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. so I devoured like the Psalms and the Gospels because everything else was too funky yeah but the Psalms I could get yeah as, as a teenager and yeah I still feel that way class whenever I get get kind of discouraged with reading the Old Testament for Old Testament class I uh, turn to the Psalms okay yeah, yeah this I just I can do this this, can, this, this is yeah. good stuff yeah. um, so in on some level that that became a part of actually knowing about Jesus through the word but it still need to take on flesh. And I think the flesh occurred when I started to see Christ in like the relationships I was building. You know, in my understanding was just like, oh, Christ, we are the body of Christ. So in a lot of ways, how I hang out with my friends, how I interact with my teachers, and they on one level reflected Christ to me. You know, what I knew of them, I thought Christ was sort of like that. But then, Fast forward a couple of years later, uh, when I was in university, like uh, something happened that sort of just broke me down, and like a tragedy in all these different forms mm-hmm. happened, mm-hmm. and that's when I would say the final like I bumped up into the flesh of Christ, almost okay. like because and for me, understanding the the word become flesh for me is very rooted in what it means to be human, and specifically suffering. I think that was sort of the final thing. I was like, oh, Jesus suffered. He genuinely suffered and felt betrayal, uh, experienced it in a relational level, but also physically had to endure these things 
at the hands of people who were out to get him. And, and so for me, that was the moment, like when I went through my suffering, that's when this doctrine of the incarnation became real to me. Hmm. Like I, that's the only way I could be saved at that point. I needed to know someone out there knew exactly how I felt. You know what I mean? So yeah. It, yeah. That, was, that was the moment, I say. And, and with that opened up the rest of my understanding of it's good to be human. Because I grew up in right. the sense that it was like, oh, beware of the flesh. Yes, or, right. or like, human is bad, God is good. To the point where it's such a binary. Hmm. But after my own suffering, I started to read all these different people, talk to people, and realize, no, the most... The best thing you could do is be a human being fully alive. That's the quote-unquote most godly thing you could do. It's to be human. Yeah. And so that no longer became a dirty word for me. I love that word. Like, I would say I'm a humanist in that sense. Right. I'm unabashedly a humanist in that sense. Christianity is so full of paradoxes, man. The, the, way, the way to be most like God is to be most human. Yeah. And God strange. himself is the one who shows us that. Right. God is a stinking paradox. I mm. mean, like, this, this is a little bit tangent, but yeah. I love... That's what this is all about. <laughs> I love um, G.K. Chesterton's writings on the cross, and especially the, the symbol of the cross. He says, unlike uh, Eastern traditions, which is a circle, right, the cross, which is beautiful and complete and whole, but a cross is literally these an intersection oh, yeah and there's two things going on with that one paradox right these intersection of holding things in perpendicular exactly yeah. perpendicular, coming across each other again and again right so you can frame it human and divine but you can also this is being a little you know reductionistic you, god's uh god's love and justice sure if you want to put in that category god's transcendence and imminence if you want to put in those categories but he also said the beautiful thing about a cross compared to a circle is that a circle is sort of closed, right? There's inside, outside. But he says a cross, the divine cross, expands outwards. Whoa. So that it covers the <laughs> highest of heights and the lowest of depths and from all sides, east and west. There's no range that this cross cannot encompass because it is launching outwards from its center point. Right? So that's the power of the cross, too. It is both paradoxical, but all-embracing on that level. And I was like, yes. That's Chesterton? That's Chesterton. Orthodoxy? In orthodoxy. Oh, my goodness. Right. So I, I was just like, okay, that, I, I'm down for that. Is that, the, is that the climax you talked about that blew your mind? Oh, no, 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 okay. no. Okay. No, no. It gets even better than gets, that? How can it so get better many, than that? Okay, you gotta, oh, read, I gotta, you gotta read orthodoxy, yeah. man. Yeah, I do. You should. It's, you can do it for your additional reading. I know. Just sit back. Just get I think that's 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 one of my plans. My friend, this is a nice little little tangent that talks about this podcast. Um, a friend of mine, Dave, uh, he um, he was the one that first introduced me to the to, to um, Chesterton's project of heresy. You know, mm. building a heresy. That was kind of his idea. He wanted to make the perfect heresy. Mm. And when he finally put the finishing touches, this is from Orthodoxy. Or when he finally put yes. the finishing touches on his heresy, he realized it was that's Orthodoxy. Right. Yeah, and it was actually just a pale kind of. Lousier version of what the church has believed all along. Yeah, <laughs> and that's actually one of my projects for this podcast. I don't know if I told you this in pre- preparation, but one of the final questions in every episode is, "What's your heresy?" Oh, so we talk about like what you believe that's <laughs> heretical, because uh, because this idea of like paradox or cross or like the oh. almost the like offensiveness of the cross. Sure, you know? <laughs> I think that's what's what's fun about heresy. It, it stretches out 
You know, it stretches out to encompass everything. So, so even the negative gets swept up into the sure. to larger story. Ooh, that's you know, a, and fantastic. all that kind of stuff. That's good stuff, man. I'm glad oh. you come at it <laughs> through that angle. Yeah. So we'll get we'll get to that. But uh, so okay. So I, I want to talk about um, suffering. I want to talk about God, and this is about the cross too. It's about Jesus. But but can you put um, talk about we talk about being moving from being a force or some kind of goodness to a relationship and finding that sure. relationship in humanity and yeah. people you look up to um also though you found it at this point of suffering i was reading this book i think it's in soul of ministry this book called soul of ministry by ray Forgive anderson me. ray anderson thank yes. you so i'm not so i'm citing my sources <laughs> um thank you um i think it's in this book where he says um christ operates in emptiness okay and you you don't you don't really receive fullness until you've reached emptiness, something like that. Yeah. And I think about my my journey, and I'm hearing about your journey, where like yeah. things were just stripped away from me, and yeah. you were brought to this place of emptiness. Yeah. So you could be filled, and <laughs> and this weird like and, and and to to a non-Christian or to a to a uh, a seeker maybe it it, it seems frustrating and and, <laughs> and horrible that yes. God would do that to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. But and and it is on the one level. It is horrible because I'm sure whatever tragedy you encountered was like awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but I wonder if you can speak a little bit to what Christ's humanity, what what opened up to you at that moment, right? When you were like w- that brought you through that because you mentioned you know that's when you understood yeah. the relationship of God. But I'm curious, yeah. What thrust you into like what what kind of mystery were you thrust into at that point? You yeah. Know? What shifted internally in you? What you know? What broke in you? Yeah. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, I'd be very interested. Uh, oh, there's a lot of ways. I, I think what broke inside of me first and foremost was the idea that I things would go the way I thought they would go. That in some strange way I was in c- control of my life or other people's lives mm. for that matter because it involved other people as well. So first of all, I had to, this is a roundabout, this might be a roundabout answer. That'd be great. But as I've learned, it wasn't just that moment too because it's, for me, it's just the years since, the reflection and I'm still learning things that help me inform what happened back there. I think one thing to talk about um, what you raised about how can suffering be good in any way, Why you know, to, especially to and I mean, why would God, why, why would God, God, like, like, rather than why would God allow it, like, right. it seems like sometimes God, like, orchestrates it. Sure, or, yeah. or at least, yeah, or at least if really people. bad things happen, he, he uses it. Sure. And maybe that's maybe a nicer way of putting it. But. And, and I'll, I'd like to talk about it from that angle first. Yeah, okay. So, the, the first Bible, the first book in the Bible is Genesis. And the, all of Genesis ends with this key line where one character says, what you intended for evil, I have turned into good. So I feel like that on one level, I came to understand that was sort of Christ's story. All these things we could throw at Christ, and Christ kept bumping up against these realities about you know, toxic religion and corrupt political power and you know, twisted social dynamics. And he was trying to help people like break out of that, all this evil, and turn it into good. And then, However, to do that cost him something, right? He had to suffer immensely. And he also, he, I remember as a teenager, I always read those lines where like, oh, you have to die to truly live, right? If you right. want to follow me, yeah. you have to die to yourself. That's great. Right? And I used to think like, 
oh, okay, so that means I need to die to my wants and desires and my personality. Right. I have to just die to all the things that I think are me and take on God. But as Some I, sort of like abstract, yeah, it's faceless just like, God thing. Yeah, it's like it, perfect it morality or something. But as, I'm, <laughs> yeah, as I've gotten older, I've come to see, no, we have to die to other things. Like, like I said, my ideas of control, mm. trying to control people. I have to die to my sense of like, uh, to be honest, die to my addiction to comfort and ease, mm. right? I, I thought that Christianity was about, you know, ultimately removing yourself from suffering or erasing suffering. But ultimately, I learned Christianity is the triumph over suffering. And that inherently holds together this tension of, yes, it hurts like hell and things are falling apart, but somehow, somewhat, you're going to be okay. That's the honest truth. Because yeah. if you stretch to either end of like, oh, everything's happy, rainbows yeah. and butterflies, yeah. it's not realistic. And you know, if you're just going through suffering and pain and there's no hope, that doesn't help yeah. either. Curse God and die. You know, Curse God. Yeah, it's the easiest thing yeah. you could yeah. do, right? Hmm. So that was that element. But recently I've been thinking about this idea where going back to why do we need to die first? Why do we need to suffer? Well, the interesting thing is if you've ever gone through suffering and it has often felt like a dying, you don't come back the same way, you know? Like, imagine like a family member of yours who goes through cancer, but ultimately beats it and comes back. And they're not going to be like, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to go out and make as much money as I can. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not the first thing they're going to be thinking about. You know what I mean? No, yeah. They're going to be thinking about, oh my God, all of life is a gift. Wow. And all the people who wow. are there for me and I didn't, or I took for granted, I want to spend time with them. Wow. So there's this idea of suffering brings gratitude. I think that's what broke in me, like mm. ingratitude. And I, I thought I was a you know, pretty thankful person. But it wasn't until I suffered to understand this key line, my mantra has been, it's all a gift. That's so important. So there's this element going on. Another thing about this needing to die first too is, you know, there's these fascinating stories about Christ dying and then his resurrection. And then he comes back and he's like, uh, uh, who, who's, I think it's Bruce Milne, a commentator says, when Christ comes back, he is reflecting the indestructible life of the deathless God. He is now like, almost like invincible on some level like he's gone yeah. through the worst thing you could possibly go wow. through as a human being and comes back and he's like oh my god this new yeah. energy new vibe and like you know you can almost imagine like oh jesus watch out don't cross the street you might get run over by a horse and he's like done that i've already faced <laughs> wow. that so i think dying first in in this way that christ talks about it reveals that oh, it frees you up Wow. Once you've gone through suffering on all these different levels, everything else, not to demean suffering, but you're like, okay, I can do it, ag I can do it again if I have to. Or, or that doesn't really matter all that much. Sure, I've been through it before. If, yeah. You know, the, the great line is like, I think C.S. Lewis said, die before you die. There's no chance afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, there, and, and so for me, I'm wrestling with Christianity for me used to be like all about the afterlife and life after death. But then I realized, no, no, no. It's also about life before death. Yeah. And then, no, no, no. It's actually about death before death. <laughs> so you can have life before death. So you can have life after death. 
So oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Like that. Is that you? Did you just are you did you just put yeah, this all together? This all that together is right that now. is the most beautiful thing and I've ever heard. And so that's the resurrection life. And and so and for me like Maltman always talks about you need to talk about uh, Christ as the crucified risen one or the risen crucified one. Yeah. Right? So uh, death and resurrection must always be held in tension. And so for me, that's something else I broke too. I, I, I had to learn how to hold things in tension. Oh, man. And how life and death are tied together. And of course, I still struggle with all sorts of things like apathy or too much uh, anxiety or yeah. trying to control things. Yeah. That's just part of it. But on this foundational, fundamental level, it's like something had to die so I could live. You know what I mean? Oh, that, that's, oh, that's oh, what was oh, going do on. I. That, wow. Like you put it in such powerful terms, but it's also really simple terms um, in, for me anyway. But of course, I've been in a master's program for yeah. a year now. Sometimes so. I feel like we're swimming yeah. in this stuff. So like <laughs> yeah. Everything makes sense. Yeah. But when, when someone else hears it, you're like, what are they talking yeah. about? But in this room right now, that's the most beautiful thing. Um, but thanks it, for asking those questions because yeah. that helped me. That's the first time I got to articulate it that way. Oh, good. Just to yeah. process it. It's my pleasure, man. I'm I'm really interested. I just did my paper on uh, on Peter Rollins and on on he talks about the apophatic theology in a yeah. negative way and about for, for CTC yeah for CTC oh that's yeah. so cool yeah and and um, and just embracing lack and embracing mm. despair you know yeah. like allowing yourself yeah. to go there yeah. is like really important for Peter Rollins and <laughs> important for Peter Rollins is important for Kierkegaard important for Kierkegaard because he sees that as very much the gospel and mm. I know all yeah. these all these guys Moltmann too is like. He's, he loves those guys as well, uh, uh, Kierkegaard, I think. Yeah. He's in that kind of existential stream. So, um, But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I hope that was clear for everybody. I, just, I, I mainly just want to like sit in that for a second. Like, like uh, the, it's, it's, it's what Kierkegaard says, precisely having despaired. We rest mm. transparently in God. It's mm. like, it's, it's not, because I spent, so for my spiritual life as well, there was a significant portion in, a, in the very young kind of, kind of evangelical charismatic fire that I had. It was like, pursue the good, pursue the healing, pursue the happiness, pursue the wholeness, mm. and just forget about everything else. Right. And if it comes up, you like deal with it only insofar as you can kill you it. Can't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't dive into that. You don't let that up, you know, wow. and when you do, it's only coming up so you can kill it. Kill it. Um, wow. but, but then we have Jesus who is so radically opposite that yeah. his father is like, is like, you want to, you want to be obedient to me? We're, we're, we're going to do this true humanity thing. Yeah. We're going to the cross, uh, you know, yeah. and, and we're going to, into despair and we're going into, into darkness wow. and we're, we're, we're going there, you yeah. know? And, 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 and Jesus and the father in this, in the most like loving and fulfilling relationship possible, for some reason they decide, uh, uh, <laughs> Um, that the most important the, the action that God wants to take in the world yeah. is to be uh, suffering, to be hung on a cross. All of his friends are going to desert him. He's going to be like thirsty. You know, there's that, that, that line oh, I'm, I'm thirsty, right. you know? That desire. Like, yeah, oh. just like oh, wow. you, that you're going into that, you know? Yeah. That's what. And so, not to. Uh, <laughs> this is the best first episode back. You get like you get the 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 good the good news like the yeah yeah the full <laughs> the full good news yeah the full good news that like this is going to be really really hard. Yes. Oh. If you want to become a Christian, 
yeah. it's going to be really hard. And that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about this. Um, <laughs> like I'm all about, you know, dying to my control, being obedient to Jesus um, or, or to, to the Father, um, who are the one, so we don't have to make a distinction. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Holy Spirit's in there too. Yeah, the Spirit. Um, and uh, uh, but but um, anyway. Um, I want to. I want to live in obedience to all of these things. But, but Michael, that's that's really, really hard. What you're saying, surrendering control, that sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah. Dying to myself, that sounds hard. Uh, and I think about um, the psalmist. You know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my mm, enemies. Yes. You know, I don't want to be prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. Right. I want to be prepared a table in like a prayer room right. by myself with like three other close friends that I really like, yes. like uh, trust and. And uh, and then we'll eat together. We'll eat the body of Christ, right, and right. we'll shut the door. I right, forget those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that uh, just what an interesting connection to Psalm twenty-three, right? It's like this wonderful, famous, yeah. trusting, confidence yeah. psalm. Yeah. And in the center of it is like, wait, my enemies are in yeah. too. Let's go. Wow, I really liked what you said about uh, that being good news in a way. This mm. strange, honest. I think that's what makes it good news too. This honesty, like we. We are people who bump up against despair, you know, or more, more, it's more like we're people who are thrown into the pits of despair sometimes. Yeah, and yeah, we against need, our will sometimes. Even op, you know? yeah, yeah, often it's against our wills, and it's only good news if God can rescue you from that, not keep you above the fray, right? This, and that's what I think goes back to what we're talking about. But the incarnation reveals mm. that God is not above the fray, right? Mm. God is at the very center of it. And, and I like how you mentioned Rollins's idea of desire, because I think it's the same thing uh, he says elsewhere, Peter Rollins, how, you know, sometimes when we talk about love, or he talks, he, I think sometimes he likes to play with C.S. Lewis ideas. Mm. And C.S. Lewis had this line where every human being has a God-shaped hole, waiting for God to fill it with yeah, God. That's right. But Rollins is like, mm, no, because when we actually love someone or begin to really fall in love and get excited about them, we don't wait to be, you know, that love opens up that hole. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't fill it. It makes us want to hang out with them more and talk to them. And like, you know, you hope that every text you get is from them and not mm. from your friend who wants to know what the like Old Testament homework is. <laughs> like you, so same thing with God, Rollins is saying, when we bump up against God, we, we're not always satisfied. We're actually left more hungry because mm. that hole gets bigger and bigger as we fall more and more in love. You know, he also has this other line about like, um, uh, if we are like a, a ship on the ocean, uh, it's almost like God punctures a hole in our hull, and God is the ocean and starts to flood our hull. Oh wow! And a relationship with Him isn't us being above the water, walking on water. It's us drowning in this mystery mm. and. As you keep sinking deeper and dip deeper, you realize it's like different parts of the water are flooding into your hull and like drowning you. Wow. So God is like kind of endless exploration that comes from a genuine pain or dis or despair too, like mm. or desire. Yeah, and it's a it's a kingdom paradox. You know, it's by going lower that you go higher. Yeah. That, right. Oh, yeah. That you descend. The descent is the, right. is the essence. Philippians 2. Yes. I'm not going to quote it all right now, but just go read that right now. Yeah. You know? And we wish emptying it was himself. other. Yeah. Emptying himself, did not consider himself um, to grasp God's nature 
but that's such a sometimes we wish is the other message mm. right we're like jesus why don't you just say winners are winners like, <laughs> like yeah. you're gonna kick ass all the time and like figure things out but not but, quite but this is all possible for some somehow this is all mysteriously all of these like horrible um dark heavy sounding things they're they're possible uh because of the resurrection i think do you want to expand on that? <laughs> I wanted to like toss that out. Okay. The resurrection, well, and and maybe maybe not, maybe they're not. But 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 I but that's what the conclusion I came to with my paper. And this is something Peter Rollins doesn't like to talk about. He doesn't like to talk about the resurrection because he loves to talk about despair. But right. the, the resurrection is in there too. It's too hopeful. <laughs> no, yeah, and I and I mean that's that's good. You know, Rollins, there is too much like yeah, consumeristic. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is this will satisfy you, and make you complete and whole, and it won't be hard at all. So he's he's trying to counter that. But I. Since we're talking about the tension, we're talking about yeah. paradox yeah. And, and, and all that. Um, well, what, what does resurrection have to say to all of that then? To the pain or yeah. to the despair? Yeah, what is, what is the hope that the resurrection brings to, to this idea that, that, um, that there's a hole, that there's an emptiness, you know, there's a longing? Yeah. Well, the thing about resurrection is that you there is no resurrection without a death or mm-hmm. a grave. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think inherently, mm-hmm. that's where we begin. Like we we can only experience new life and hope and joy, which are I think key themes of resurrection. When you realize you have been hopeless and genuinely joyless, like yeah. otherwise it doesn't mean anything by itself. Yeah. Um, so I think right there has to be an emptiness in order to be filled you know there has to be a yeah and and a darkness yeah this idea of like resurrection comes from a dark tomb Mm. a tomb that had no light in it that only had death and decay in a way Um, so I think the power of the resurrection is that it it is not it's not triumphalistic because it is something you had to pass through. You had to go through a Friday and a Saturday to get to your Sunday of resurrection. And, and I think that's why, and another sort of key theme of resurrection is this idea of new creation, mm-hmm. right? Where they even, you know, the Gospel of John speaks of Jesus's resurrection as the first day of the new creation. Now, the honest truth is, Anytime you're making something new from something old, it hurts because you need to go through this like a transforming process, right? To be molded and shaped and, you know, mm-hmm. so that's part of the pain too. It's not always easy. Some things from the old world, from the old creation have no place in the new mm. creation, Yes. right? So we do need to die again to these ideas of I'm in control yep. or despair uh, as as a form as a badge of honor that we're holding on to. Right. Sometimes we have to be aware of that. There's genuine despair that looms over us that it's almost its own force, and we need help to deal with that. Mm. But we can't buy into it. You know, like I recently talked about the play Judas, the last days of Judas yes. Iscariot. Yep. And so despair was seen as this great sin of refusing God's goodness, of God's story about how worthy and wonderful we are. Yeah. You know. And so we have to be careful too that when we talk about pain and suffering and despair, we have a healthy relationship yeah. with it too. Yeah. Okay, I like this a lot. This this is this is excellent. 
um, and, it, and it makes sense to me right now um, in, in the way that mystery can make sense to you only in, in part, you know. But, um, but uh, in existential terms then, you know, it's only when you know your own darkness, you know, your own subjectivity, your own like, like void emptiness and lack mm. that you can truly um, be resurrected mm. from that as a person. And so for me, as you're talking, resurrection is actually like the hardest path because, um, because you have to, it, it involves fully embracing your own inner darkness mm. and fully receiving the light of salvation, you know, yeah. at the same time. And so it's very easy to say, oh, no, I'm a good person. Like, I'm very happy, you know, like, like oh, yeah, God will, you know, Donald Trump, you know, I, I have a great relationship with God. I, I've never needed to ask him for forgiveness. Right. <laughs> you know? No, right. I have a great relationship. Yeah. Like, oh. like there's, there's that, and then there's, and then, and then there's, like, there's the other tendency, which I'm much more familiar with, uh, and that is, like, oh, I'm so unworthy, I'm so, you know, um, and the, the kind of the pride of self-deprecation. You know that right. I can, that my my biggest my best virtue as me, as the writer of Me Without You says my my biggest virtue I'm self impressed by how well I can put myself down, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and there's this like pride of of, of darkness and of self deprecation. And then w what I'm hearing from you as we're talking about resurrection is that resurrection allows you to hold them both at the same time. Yeah. In this beautiful paradox, yeah. you are unimaginably terrible <laughs> in yeah. and of yourself. Yeah. You're also the most loved individual yeah. in the entire world. Yeah. You know? Um, well, and, and that's the thing about resurrection, too, is that the spirit is absolutely central in that. Because it's this, you, we are resurrected to a life in the spirit. Yeah. Right? That's, that's what it says in the changer. Bible. The, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from yeah, the dead Romans 8, will yeah. also give life to your mortal bodies. Uh, yeah. like, pardon me, like my, my body right. will be given life by the, by the power that raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the very uh, breath, oh, wind, man. spirit of the living God is in us. You know? And so, and that's the thing, right? When we... That's the thing, I think, learning more and more surrender, like a genuine sense of dependency on God. And now this is like a whole other tangent, but this, is, great. Just, this yeah. is sort of the original story of the scriptures begins with this, uh, you know, these two human beings in this beautiful relationship with God, uh, absolute dependence on God, mm -hmm. you know, and an absolute dependence that leads to freedom where God said, right go enjoy this thing, do this, do that, you know, enjoy this garden and life I've created for you. Um, and, and then we see later on down the story that there's also this Jesus who shows up, who talks about uh, remain in me and I'll remain in yeah. you. Like I'm the true vine, yeah. apart from me, you can't do anything, yeah. you know? And, and so <laughs> that I think talks a little bit about what true life is too. That are we plugged into this source of life you know i love that imagery of of like us being connected you know like electricity are we plugged into the divine like that's what life in christ and the spirit is about you know it's like this divine spark that runs wow. through our bodies that's so important too and i think resurrection is the beginning of that true life um and here's the weird thing i struggle with too because 
as a creature of habit, there's times when I fall into despair or things happen to mm-hmm. me and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of wonder if like we experience multiple resurrections. Like the, you know, there's that big cataclysmic event in our life. There's a historical resurrection, sure. I sometimes think like there's these born again, mm-hmm. these resurrection moments, mm-hmm. these dying, these being crucified on some strange level, our own crosses that we have to deal with again and again and again and again, you know. And, and there's multiple deaths. Yeah. Right? There's a lot to constantly kill. Constantly dying to self, constantly being being resurrected. There's a lot to kill in us, like <laughs> honestly. Is. So, yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, Peter Rollins has that wonderful line where he says, you know, like Jesus could have risen from the dead a hundred times. But if I've never tasted resurrection once, it doesn't mean a thing. Wow. Which is very existential and subjective mm-hmm. on one level. But I think it's true. It's hard to talk to people about resurrection if they've never experienced it. You know. And yet, I would argue, people probably do more often than they think. They don't have the language for it. You know, or the spirit might yeah. not be involved in the same way. Right. But not in a way that they, is obvious or... Yeah. You know, to look on it subtly. And, and I think the cool thing about tying it all together is like, why is there suffering and death on some level, uh, or life and death? And I think it's in Romans too, where Paul talks about Christ being the God of the living and the dead. And so ultimately, Christ becomes the one who says, there's no realm, whether alive or dead, that I can't be in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's nothing in your life, whether you feel like you're fully alive or you're on the, you know, edge of death in some form or another, that I can't be there too. Yes. And that's the good news. Yes. Right? Again and again, it's not this triumph over suffering mm. and death, but it's, it's not, sorry, not this erasure of that. That's but right. But it's just bringing you through it. Yeah, the way I kind of explain it sometimes is, uh, or I have explained it in the past to people is, um, in, in, so, so if we, if we think about those existential terms, those existential categories you're talking about, the, um, the actual story, the mythological, the mythology, not to say that's not true, but the, mythos, but the, yeah, the, yeah. the, yeah, the mythology goes that, and, and mythology can be something that actually happens, so don't worry about it too much. <laughs> but the mythology is that Christ died and he descended into hell. Right. That's what the creeds yeah. say. Yeah. And he rose, rose on the third day. Yeah. And, uh, but the idea is that he went all the way down mm. to the depths of hell. Right. And so if he went all the way down to the depths of hell, that means, that means the moment when you were at your darkest and when you were at your lowest and when you thought, I'm, I'm unredeemable, that's precisely the moment that Christ entered into mm-hmm. in, in his death and resurrection. And that's precisely the moment where, it's precisely in that that you're loved. You know, yeah. it's just, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. So that, yeah, that's been really helpful for me. That's, that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can amen that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just feel like, be filled with the Spirit, all who are listening. <laughs> Because that's beautiful stuff. Um, so I only have one more question, yeah. and that is, uh, what's your heresy? So we'll 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 end we'll end on a on a on a note of, um, and it can be tied into what we were talking about. Or, um, but it's always the last question I ask everybody. You know, you got to yeah. out yourself, and especially if I start e- interviewing professors and stuff, it'll be fun because we, the idea is that we all believe something that's not. Uh, at least not widely accepted as sure. true. There's always there's always some area where we're where we feel like we're a little bit deviant, and it's good yeah. to it's good to come out about that. Okay, 
I don't know where to begin. There's so many heresies. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about writing an article called "I'm a Heretic." Yeah. Um, because I'm, we're all someone's heretic. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. It doesn't matter where you fall. That's right. So where do I begin with my heresy? Uh, if I had to pick one, and we're being honest here, this is safe space, right? That's right. Sure. It's going online, but it's still safe. <laughs> yeah, you know, internet's the safest place, <laughs> right? It's completely anonymous. Yeah. Um, I don't know, to be honest, I, I struggle with the idea of uh, eternal life and damnation yeah. and judgment and yeah. hell and heaven and universalism. And so I sometimes wonder, you know, ultimately we, we speak in the realm of speculation, but I think, I hope, I'm a hopeful universalist mm -hmm. that ultimately somehow, some way God will redeem and save and rescue everyone and all of us. Yeah. If we want to, or maybe yeah. not even, even if we don't want Yeah, because I didn't want to. That's, that's always my problem with it. <laughs> like if you look at the history of my life, yeah. I was not the one, and this is my Calvinism speech, <laughs> yeah. but really like I was not the one who, who, uh, who chose God. It wasn't like one day I was like, I was like, you know what? Like I think because my life's great <laughs> and because I'm a, an achiever and I can make everyone like me, I'm like, yeah, yeah you know, on top of that, I'm going to add uh, faithfulness to Christ. You know, like, right, no, like, all of that got, had to get stripped away and I had to become like a, a pariah in my own eyes and see myself uh, for like, you know, like, it, I just, I had to have no other option, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's the work of God is like bringing me to that place where I had no other option. The emptiness we talked about at like minute 20. Roughly. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's a good point. You saying that just made me think, yeah, maybe I have to admit that too. I, I had nothing to do with my conversion mm. on some level, right? My parents said, go to this school, and I did. Totally. You know, and I didn't expect it. They didn't expect it. My parents are still like, what are you doing? Are you going to, you're going to be a pastor? They're still like, they're supportive, but they're confused. Um, they're like, it's your fault, parents. You yeah, sent me to that, Christian that's school. exactly what I told them. You should have sent me to that Christian Jesus school. But, um, but so I'm hopeful mm. that on one level, God's great redemptive work yeah. will extend um, and I don't, I don't know what that means at all, to be honest, sometimes. Um, and I know some people be like, well, you know, there's a lot of issues with that. Like, what about... Yeah, anyway. So, yeah. but I'm a hopeful universalist, yeah, if I had to say. Yeah. Um, and we ought to hope for that, right? Yeah. The Lord hopes for it. It says in the Bible, uh, he longs yeah. for all men to be saved. Yeah. So if that's what God hopes for, then we ought to hope for that as well. Yeah. Um, Oh, we just got a noise complaint. Um, we'll, we'll keep it down. Yeah. Or I think about this idea where, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. And I wonder if, like, you know, if someone dies does, and they're, quote, unquote, God's enemy because they don't know God, does God just give up on them? Yeah. Does God follow through with loving God's quote-unquote enemies? Yeah. Will God follow through and keep pursuing them? You know? Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I just wonder too, like, and what do we know? It's such a brief life here. So sometimes yeah. I just wonder what's, what's next or what's going on. Um, and I think it makes me, it gives me, it gives me this firm sort of hopeful foundation. Like, that's why I don't struggle as much anymore with, issues of religious anxiety like am i good enough mm. you know i can face up to the facts that i'm not perfect and there are genuine issues i need to deal with but
but ultimately there's this hope that God can redeem and restore me mm. in this life and beyond and however long yeah. it takes yeah. you know uh, that's great I will make a plug for you know as much as I'd like to be a Calvinist about this and that Calvinism has led me to universalism I will make a plug for the idea of commitment mm. you know like like God is wooing us you know and I, but I will make a plug for and this is a moment that happened to me recently actually it was the ultimate in like in, in undoing my Calvinist upbringing because I was at a very dark place and uh, and I, I had no um, nowhere to turn and I was like I know like God still loves me and I know he's still there but like I'm just can't seem to get better and so I finally was like I it's like I looked God in the eyes kind of thing and not not actually but like I sat down in my in my bedroom on the yeah. floor of my bedroom I think I don't know I'll, I'll romanticize the story just add that there. Uh, yeah That's I don't good. know if that actually happened it happened there. I'll be <laughs> on the floor of my bedroom and I and I was like you know what I can't do this yeah. I'm terrible at this but I'm in you know hey. I'm in Sounds and like that actually right. began to unravel a great many things in my life so just so that we hold everything in tension you know, the, 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 we'll, we'll add the tension of the Calvinism, Armenianism. That could be the two, the two, the two lines of the cross, you know? I, I feel like, I don't know who said that, but I feel like someone's, yeah, said that before. It's like, there is free will within God's predetermined, mm. <laughs> like, work <laughs> on Perfect. some level. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. It's but, great. Anyway. This has been awesome. It this has. has been an amazing episode. Um, I'm glad you're doing this again. I hope mm-hmm. you keep going, man. Thanks. Keep talking to people. Well, I will now, <laughs> especially after all the demand I get after this episode goes viral, man. You, you've been a really, really great guest and great teacher. I'll put that out there, too. Um, I really appreciate tutorials. And I appreciate having you in my life, man. And I feel like we're just starting to become friends, so I'm excited yes. about that. Yeah. No, thank you, man. I've, lear- I've actually learned a lot from you. Hmm. And I love your passion and fire. Like you, you tremble with joy oh. and mystery. You know, I mean, we didn't get to talk about it this much, but we, I kind of want to talk about play. Oh, and that yeah. one Christian imagination class yeah. that you left, like that was one yeah. of your favorite lectures. Yeah. And there's an element, yeah, about art and creativity we can talk about in some future time. I would love that. We'll have yeah. a part two for sure. Like, yeah. I, I, I would. Well, I mean, I can't say anything for sure, but. But obviously, I would love to have a part two, so hopefully we do do that. That'd be great. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Eric.